So a sensitive subject, this pelvic floor, right? Absolutely. And it's actually something that many people come in to see us for, or they have some sort of pain there or questions, or we see women and men suffering because of it. Mm -hmm. And there's a larger list of things that can show up for people when, you know, when there's something going on in the pelvic floor, and that could be from urinary incontinence to pelvic floor pain, um, to constipation, to urinary incontinence. There could be a whole host of things going on mm -hmm. that people aren't really paying attention to. Yeah, and sometimes they don't know where to actually receive the help. And also what I love that we talked about are some hidden areas of the body that could be impacted when there's challenges in the pelvic floor, but maybe we don't even know it's coming from that region. Yeah, and as expected, Sonia loves to ask the questions around emotional connecting, mm -hmm. connection to the physiology and, and what has to be unraveled there while people are working on some of those uh, more physical mm -hmm. things. Right? Yeah, so this conversation with Amanda Olson, we um, talked to a physical therapist who's really been doing this for so many years and has seen so many patterns, and we love that she shared her personal story of why she thinks pelvic floor um, work is so important. So I think this is going to be one that many of you are going to enjoy. And I actually personally love the prescription at the end. So you have to wait till the end to find out what that is. Yeah. And so men, you need to listen to this too. That's right. Welcome to the Health Ignited podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. So if you've been following us for a period of time, you know that our, one of our favorite topics talk about hormone optimization, hormone health, and all things in between, right? Yes. And when we talk about hormones, we often talk about them as they are the communicators that really help our body, our brain to communicate so that it's working efficiently and it's working for us. Mm -hmm. So hormones in women tend to have more of a, a natural monthly rhythm, typically premenopause. In men, we call it irritable male syndrome, where we can be on one moment and the next moment we can be off, meaning our, our hormones tend to have uh, a lot more volatility and fluctuation throughout our day. And so often we're looking for things to just optimize maybe the monthly cycle or optimize our energy levels and focus and drive through the day. And so one of our favorite tools is, is from the company called uh, Organifi and the product is called Harmony. So let's talk a little bit about what is Harmony? Like, it's a great name. Yes, it is a really great name, especially because this is a product that I use in my luteal phase because it really is one that captures all the herbs and things that you need in order for your luteal phase, which is the second half of your cycle, to feel like you are in harmony. Because anytime we're feeling any sort of discomfort with our hormones, we are out of rhythm. And what this allows us to do with the chase tree, with the shatavari, it's giving us adrenal support, it's supporting our liver, it's supporting our nervous system, it's supporting gut. our gut, it's supporting our pituitary gland, that then supports that communication. So it's a beautiful one to use in your luteal phase, especially probably at a higher dose and maybe a lesser dose um, in your follicular phase. And for those women that aren't 
cycling, you can still use it from full moon to new moon. So it's just one of those really great products that you can use in tea because everybody knows that I love tea mm -hmm. and you can add that into your nightly or daily routine. Mm -hmm. And then and then for men, because it's got some nutritive tonics like maca, it's got ginger and turmeric and some of these other things, obviously we can use as well. Um, however, in our household, if there's harmony in our cupboard, I get a slap on the wrist and say, you know better, that's not yours to touch. It's it, fine. It's very tasty, which is part of the reason why I'm not allowed to use it. That's right. But men can definitely still use it. Yeah. <laughs> so if you are interested, um, you can use Dr. Jensen um, 20 as a code and get 20% off. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to another episode with my amazing, talented, beautiful wife, Dr. Sonia Jensen. Uh, nice to be here with you again. Oh, thank you. That was quite the intro there. It was. It was yeah. my birthday yesterday. It and was. I'm just so grateful for mm. you and my life and, and, our, and our two boys. Yeah, yes. thank you. <laughs> and our boys are <laughs> homesick that. today. They're homesick today, which is always an adventure. Yeah. And it's a lot of pivoting that we have to do. So it's this constant reminder that we don't have full control over life and we have to adjust and pivot constantly yeah mm -hmm. and you know it's interesting because we're gonna be talking a lot about pregnancy and postpartum and i remember just thinking back before we had our first one so we put so much emphasis on on the pregnancy plan and and i felt sort of like an outsider in that a little bit you know i could only do so much as a man and i and i made so many mistakes in our first pregnancy that <laughs> sonia reminds me of often and then the second one you know, you get into a groove, but so much of that pregnancy really, you know, the, the care, the, the attention to detail, all of that really comes so much more after the fact, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of prep, obviously, mentally, emotionally, and, and you know, getting the room set up, but there's so much that happens afterwards. And I think this is why this conversation is so great is because mm -hmm. often women are sort of left alone and don't mm -hmm. really know what kind of options are available and why is my body different than what it was before, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why I'm really excited about this conversation because mm -hmm. like you were saying, the pregnancy happens, the birth happens, but most women are left to their own afterwards with all these changes and the grief of the change in their body and in their life. And when there's physical pain, and all this happening all at once and yet they're taking care of this newborn they're feeling really unsupported so today i'm really excited to bring on amanda olson she is a pelvic floor specialist so she has a doctorate degree in physical therapy she is the president and chief clinical officer of intimate rose where she develops pelvic health products and education and she's passionate about empowering women and men with pelvic health issues, including pain, incontinence, pregnancy, and postpartum issues. She's also an author of Restoring the Pelvic Floor for Women. So I'm definitely excited about this conversation. I know so many women and men are going to benefit from it. So thank you, Amanda, for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. And so happy we, birthday. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we've got Scorpio in the house over yeah. here. Um, so I would actually love to know your story and what got you involved in really focusing on the pelvic floor and why you think it's something that's so important for us to understand. Absolutely. My story has become a bit infamous uh, because it's I it's funny now. It's funny to me, and I can find humor in it, but um, it was a really dangerous situation. I found myself in a situation where I was out camping in the beautiful wilderness here. And, um, all the boys were cliff jumping. And so they were jumping off this rock 40 feet into the river. It was one of those destinations where the river is very still, very deep. 
it's considered safe (laughs) to jump off. But apparently when you jump, uh, you are supposed to stay straight like a stick. And I ran, I landed in the shape of an L bottom first. Um, and so I sustained very serious, uh, injuries to my spine and my pelvic floor and my pelvis from 40 feet up water behaves very much like cement. Um, and so my, my injuries were very significant at the time I had a doctorate degree in physical therapy, but I was specializing in pediatrics. And Mm. so, um, I'm so lucky because, um, you know, that, that injury could have gone a lot of ways. If I'd rotated a little bit more, I'd hit my head and I'd have been gone for sure. Um, and I was lucky I was able to get out of the river. So afterwards, my physician, um, I'm so thankful was able to send me to a colleague that specialized in pelvic health, physical therapy. And this was, 14, 15 years ago. So in the United States, there was like 300 in the entire country, not many, but I was so lucky to have one in my area. And I went through significant amounts of pelvic floor rehabilitation to restore all the muscles and tendons and ligaments and low back injuries that I sustained. Um, And she totally changed my life fixed me up. And, um, at the end she said, you know, you should really think about quitting pediatrics and go into this field. There's not enough in the country and you have the right personality for it. And so I did, I went back and recertified lots of extra schooling, lots of extra tests and board certifications. And this is now my passion. It's what I'm here for. And, um, you know, I went on to have two boys naturally, vaginally, and I'm a, for all intents and purposes, fine. I have to manage and I have to maintain, but, um, I've, I've done quite well with it. And so now I know that this, this is my purpose and this mm. is what I do now. Yeah. I'm curious your process when you were going through the healing and the different emotions that would have shown up and challenges just in your body and being someone that worked with a body. I'm curious how you related to your healing. Cause often, you know, as we're healing, we start teaching what we need for ourselves. And, um, I know for myself, if something's going on in body in the past, like I felt also frustration that here I am teaching this. So, and now it's happening to me. I'm just curious what your process was like during that time. Yeah, I think it was very similar. And it's been interesting having gone through the injury and then going through pregnancy and childbirth and then other surgeries and other health conditions with the pelvic floor, because each and every one is so humbling. Because as a practitioner, we think so clearly and objectively, and we're so nurturing to our patients and to ourselves, we are (laughs) critical and have a hard time being objective and seeing things from a high level clinical perspective because it's us living in our bodies. And mostly with that injury, I felt angry with my myself, you know, I mean, first and foremost, that I, I chose to jump off. I was not pushed off that cliff and I'm not a thrill seeker. That's not me anyways. And so that was a hard lesson to learn as a practitioner of, you know, you get one body in life, we have to take care of it and accidents happen, but, you know, trying to, trying to be a better moderator of your activity is always good. Um, but with the postpartum process too, it was a lot of, Oh boy, I've got my work cut out for me. It's, you know, the, the loss of the motor function and the difference in the brain map of how you're feeling and experiencing your body is vast. And it's a brand new body when you're pregnant and when you're postpartum, it's, it's something you have to relearn almost like a new remote control car that has a new sort of switch where you're Mm -hmm. trying to learn where the on and off button is. Um, and so it's always humbling. And I try to use those experiences 
to, um, first of all, drive, you know, my empathy towards my patients and also to remind them, you know, I've, I've, I don't know exactly what you're experiencing, but I've been some places and I know it's really hard and really frustrating and you want to be better yesterday, but these processes do take time and you're going to get there. I'm, I'm curious with that, with that jump, what mechanically, like, how did you know to go see the pelvic floor, floor specialist? Like, I'm, I'm wondering, like, what were the symptoms set that you noticed? Or like, was there vertebral compression? Was there, in, like, was there fractures? Like, what was going on? And then how did, how did you find the, the pelvic floor, not the chiro, the surgeon, the, the physio, whatever, whatever, whatever? Yeah. So I was a physical therapist myself. Um, I had two compressed and herniated discs. I had a subluxed tailbone and I was bruised all the colors from my lumbar spine down to my heel. <laughs> I was, had significant and considerable soft tissue damage. Um, and then I had considerable amounts of pain and had, I wasn't able to sit at all in the time. Interestingly, I was working in pediatrics, but I was in a research role at a children's hospital. So I was up a little bit. I was sitting a lot mm. processing data and writing reports and things. So um, the pain with sitting was a lot. So I went to my um, regular physician and I went to my gynecologist because of the internal injuries. And um, I knew in my head, you know, being a physical therapist, I knew that I had colleagues that specialized this and I had a hunch that that was going to be the right choice for me, just um, with my background as, as a pelvic physio, respecting my fellow colleagues. And she was able to put me in touch with one in my area and she was wonderful. So mm. I'm wondering um, during your pregnancy time, especially that first pregnancy, because often, well, we know that the body has memory and especially if there has been a trauma, there's a very heightened memory. And when relaxants coming in during the pregnancy and everything stretching out, especially in that pelvic area, did you notice some like subconscious triggers or things showing up for you emotionally as your body was shifting and changing and in that reminder of what had happened before? Interestingly, not in the first one, I had a really um, smooth. And I think I was so excited at the prospect of being a parent for the first time. And the symptoms were so different. And I was an active, I was a marathon runner. Um, you know, I'm very, very active at the time, but my second pregnancy was totally different. And I had a lot of pain, a lot of pain. It was hard to do my job. It was hard to do really anything. Um, and I wasn't able to run. So, um, I think that some of the um, difficulties just with my way, way I'm moving in and out of my vehicle, moving patients as a healthcare provider, all of that, um, may have drawn on some of those previous injuries because, you know, the baby was situated differently. He was significantly bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and also I was a little older, you know, I wasn't 30 anymore. Mm -hmm. I was another day, another age. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> 33. Um, but all of those things I think accumulated in that second pregnancy. And it was, it was really hard, really mm -hmm. hard. Yeah. It's amazing how each pregnancy is so different. I felt the same. My first pregnancy didn't really feel at sciatica for sure, because mm -hmm. I had some previous um, back issues, but my second one, I remember it took me forever for my pelvis to come back to itself. And same thing. So my first one ended up a C-section, unfortunately, um, due to some complications after being in labor for many, many days. And then my second one was born at home, vaginally in the call, but he ended up having the bigger head than my first, of course. And I remember it took years after for my pelvis to actually feel like it was back in alignment again. And that 
impacts everything, especially when you're you're working, you're taking care of your other children and you're doing all these things. So how do you support women in understanding what's going on in their pelvic area and how do they know when it's time to get help and what are some things that you support them with? Absolutely. During pregnancy, if they are experiencing any of the above, any pain in the pelvis or low back or pelvic floor tailbone region, which are very common, but there's a lot that we can do to make them more comfortable or any issues with incontinence or fecal issues. A lot of times they'll be constipated and a lot of that is hormone driven. Um, but there's some things that we can do mobility wise and exercise wise to help relieve some of that um, issues. And then there's belting that we can do and certain exercises that help to attenuate those changes as they go through pregnancy pregnancy. And then the beauty of that is we have that relationship. So that postpartum after they've had baby, there's often some brand new symptoms and we're right there for them to help them mitigate those and to go on and uh, regain all of the activities that they miss and, and the activities of daily living that are becoming difficult in that stage. Um, so that's why we try to get to them at least even for a consult during the pregnancy phase. And then most certainly in the postpartum phase. Mm -hmm. What would you say is the most common symptom set that you see when the pelvic floor starts to, let's say, deteriorate or, or disentangle in, in the way that it was working before? Like, what would you say those, maybe there's a few, but what's the most common one? Yeah, urinary incontinence. Um, tailbone pain and pelvic pain are the most common ones. The urinary incontinence can be secondary to elongation of the pelvic floor muscles, also loss of timing and coordination and control. A lot of times people just liken it to weakness and certainly muscle weakness can be a factor, but not everyone that comes in with incontinence is weak. Sometimes it's just that they've lost that instantaneous timing and coordination to close around the urethra when they cough or they sneeze or they laugh. But another possible driver can be that the muscles um, have some scar tissue around them from the delivery in the postpartum phase. Um, and then all, a lot of women are experiencing pain and that pain could be with sitting or with moving in and out in their SI joints, but it can also be intravaginally and that can prevent them from being able to have intercourse or use a tampon, or it may be just driving chronic pain throughout their day and they're not sure where it's coming from or why it's happening. And we help address that. Mm -hmm. Do you notice the difference between women that have had C-section deliveries versus vaginal, if there's any difference in how they're experiencing some of this pelvic challenge? Interesting. I mean, not as black and white as that. Interestingly, yeah. a lot of women that have had C-section are very astounded that they have changes in the pelvic floor, that they're having the um, pain with intercourse, but some of it can be due to pregnancy. And then some of it can also be due to almost like yourself, where it's like they were in labor for a very long amount of time. And then mm -hmm. the C-section. So that pelvic floor was experiencing a lot of those changes that are associated with the vaginal birth, but then they ended up with the C-section. So it's not always... Mm -hmm. Yes and no, it's kind of all of the above. Um, and I think that's where we try to educate women with C-sections as well, that if you're having these, um, it's not your fault and it's still something that we can help you with. Mm -hmm. So this might be TMI, but I know a lot of women experience this after giving birth. So after my second, um, often if I was having a bowel movement, there'd be sharp pains. 
in my pelvic region and sharp all the way to like my coccyx, sacrum, all the way up. And so that make made it really difficult to even want to have a bowel movement, knowing that it's so important that you do, and but it causes pain. And I know so many women that experience the same thing. So maybe can you tell us what's happening at that time? Yeah, absolutely. There can be a couple of drivers. The primary ones are often either a tearing or episiotomy utilized during a vaginal birth. Um, or the other can be a guarding reflex where uh, after delivery or after the C-section, the pelvic floor muscles are clenching almost mm-hmm. like people might do to help protect their neck or their back. And that can drive trigger points, tender points, and shortening and myalgia or muscle pain of the pelvic floor muscles. And they're not aware of it, but those muscles are just clenched. And during a bowel movement, we need them to drop and relax and expand and have good flexibility and mobility. So if they are bearing down in a natural motion to have a bowel movement and they're clenching, that can be a driver of pain. So it can be all of the above, the scar tissue, the injury to the tissue or a muscle coordination issue. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the remedies for that specific? Symptoms. In pelvic, yeah, in pelvic health physical therapy, um, it's not always one size fits all. We always evaluate the person in front of us, but commonly we will do some internal manual therapy, so some soft tissue mobilization. Uh, in pelvic floor physical therapy, it is never a no pain, no gain kind of physical therapy. So if people have had like an ACL repair or shoulder, it is totally different. This is not that kind of physical therapy. We are very gentle. We use very gentle techniques with that manual therapy. Um, there's often just really small movements that can help soften the scar tissue. And then we're retraining your brain and your muscles to be working in coordination again. And so the ways that we do that may include simply using a mirror. So visual feedback, we often have real-time ultrasound where we can ultrasound and you can see the pelvic floor dropping and relaxing in the clinic. We have biofeedback, um, which is um, sometimes the sensors are placed internally and sometimes externally, but it gives a visual feedback on a screen that may be anything from a basic line to where you can practice dropping and relaxing to something really cute, like Um, a flower that when you contract, the flower is closed and it's a bud. And when you drop and relax, it blooms out into a rose. So that's other types of visual feedback. Um, And then tools and devices, including those that I make at Intimate Rose, which include the wand, which is helpful for trigger point release internally that people can do on their own at home. And then also vaginal dilators, which helps to train the tissue and the brain to drop and relax in order to have something inside it, whether it's a tampon or a speculum during internal vaginal exam or a partner during intercourse. Mm -hmm. And so I have... It's all about me this yeah, hour. Yeah, Sorry. <laughs> I know Nick wants to ask questions too, but um, I remember after giving birth to my first and then ending up in C-section, the midwife saying that, well, your pelvic floor was just too strong. And I felt that what she said was quite wrong. And, but I also understand that if there's tightness there because of the way I was working out or um, sitting because of our jobs and all the things. So my question to you is one, is that true? Two, what can young women that maybe haven't given birth yet or haven't gotten pregnant yet, what can they do for prevention so that they can support their pelvic floor and create more fluidity there? Like for me, I practice a lot of yoga now and I feel like that's what helps support me, especially in that second pregnancy. But what are some things that women can incorporate in their daily life? I know you're also certified in Pilates. So I'm just curious, like how you kind of weave that in for prevention. 
Sure. Yeah. So interestingly, during birth, the contractions of the uterine uterus are so powerful that having too strong of a pelvic floor is not generally uh, a leading cause that would that would require C-section because those uterine contractions are so powerful that they will overcome and even result in a tear of very, very strong pelvic floor muscles. Mm -hmm. So there may have been other factors at play for that, including body position during delivery. You know, when we think about our bony architecture and how our organs lie and um, all of those can lead to, you know, a, a, a difficulty of the baby during exit. And so changing body position is often helpful. I'm not sure if you were guided in that, but being in all fours, being in a deep squat, being uh, kneeling over a therapy ball are often put us in a better relationship with gravity. Now that doesn't always play out. Like even my, myself delivering in a hospital, I was given Pitocin and things happened very, very quickly. There was no time to get me rolling around and changing positions. And mm -hmm. so supine I was, um, mm. and torn I was. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, it's just messing around with body position. And then there's sometimes there's just something happening structurally that is not leading to it, but I wouldn't necessarily in most cases blame muscle tissue, um, for that, but certainly there can be some perineal massage that we do in hopes of preventing that. So as you mentioned, um, preventative tips. So, the perineum is that soft tissue between the vaginal opening and the anus. And we want to be strong, of course, to help maintain continence and support our pelvic organs, but we want it to be flexible too, and especially in preparation for birth. So there is some massage techniques around that perineum. Um, our wand, um, this is one example of it, can be used to be doing mobilization down and through there in preparation of birth. Um, and then positions and exercises, as you asked about, include a happy baby. Although being pregnant, happy baby may need to be modified in different ways. We can certainly achieve that open pelvis position by squatting into a corner. I like the corner because we can ease into it and have support on our body from all angles and just practice dropping down. Um, it's often helpful to have something that you can reach to help you get back up when you are very, very pregnant. Um, deep squatting with a therapy ball. Um, so it may involve kneeling and your arms are on the therapy ball and just rolling back and practicing opening the hips and the pelvis. That's a naturally opening position for the pelvic floor. And it can be a really nice one to be in during the laboring process. Um, so those are a couple ideas. And then in terms of Pilates, those are often exercises that are helpful for, as you had touched on some of the SI joint related pain and the pelvis shifting and growing and having to accommodate in, in terms of new baby growing, but also we're still trying to, again, go grocery shopping, get in out of our vehicle and move our body in different ways. So having good, strong gluteal muscles and hip muscles, back muscles and shoulder muscles are helpful to maintaining good posture throughout our pregnancy so that we can do the things that we need to do while we're in that phase of anatomy change. Mm -hmm. So I mean, not every woman would be doing all of these things on their own, maybe A, because their, you know, their work is more sedentary, B, they just were never taught it before, et cetera, et cetera. Let's, I'm just kind of curious, is there, is it more likely that someone, you know, comes into a pregnancy without doing all these things that they're more likely to have complications or is it just is it just an interesting phenomenon that happens for some women, regardless whether or not they're doing all the right things, you know, quote unquote. 
Uh, what what do you think? Like, do you, do you think that women are prepared enough or in general, or do you think that those that don't do the work are more likely to have symptoms? You know, in terms of the data, I think that where we are currently is the data does support that women that are more physically active and physically active can simply mean 30 to 45 minutes a day, roughly five days a week, tend to have better outcomes overall postpartum. And that would be, um, you know, less time down in bed, less uh, days injured, less days with pain. But that being said, I'm exhibit A as to how you can be doing all those things. And there are some things that simply happen with the pregnancy, like size of the baby or the conditions during the labor and delivery itself that can override all those, unfortunately. So um, it's, it's a little bit unfair in some ways, but it's always a good idea to try to be prepared. So yeah, the data does support being physically active and um, having good just overall mobility prior um, and going into delivery, but there are things that happen that are simply out of people's control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And- Sorry. I was, I was just going to say it, it would make sense. Like the, the, I, I wanted that point to be shared just because, you know, you can prepare as much as you can and then the pregnancy will unfold the way it does and your recovery time. And I think that that's so important for women to appreciate it's the recovery that really matters. We said this at the beginning, you know, we put so much effort into planning for the big day, but it's really about what happens afterwards, mm-hmm. you know, for, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was just going to mention that or ask the question, if you read this anywhere or witnessed it yourself with the women that you work with, but our modern day living and the way that we live is so different than what our ancestors would have done. When I think about my grandma who gave birth to her six children at home with Mm -hmm. no problem was always squatting. Like she lived in India. So she was brooming the floor while she was squatting. She was cooking while she was squatting. She's in, if she went to the fields, she was squatting. So they're constantly in that position that's optimal to give birth and already so open And also just way of life was different. The roles were different. So I'm just curious if those are conversations that you have with women of just how we live today is impacting how we give birth in our postpartum. Absolutely. Yes. And I think that that is an excellent example. And, you know, a lot of people that do work have jobs that are seated or at a computer. Not often are you finding a physically active job. Um, and then also just our day-to-day activities are not the same. You know, we, we do get our groceries, but our, uh, you know, our kitchens are pretty condensed and we have a lot of amazing luxuries that um, don't give us a lot of side to side motion, not a lot of rotational motion. We just don't get a lot of variety um, unless we are explicitly putting ourselves into positions where we can do that. So yeah, absolutely. So it, it, it often is the gluteals are weak going into the pregnancy. And then we have SI joint related pain when the pelvis changes, Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm also curious when you start doing work with women, especially in um, postpartum and they, their pelvis starts to release, if you've seen emotional things show up or emotional releases at the same time, because we just hold so much in that area. So I'm just curious if you have any stories around that. Oh, more common than not. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it happens all the time. I would say, I would say, at least half, um, you know, when they come in, they're very composed and they're delivering their subjective history and telling what their goals are. And, you know, we go over what we're going to do very thoroughly. And then um, sometimes, you know, we'll do the evaluation or we'll talk through what the findings are. And then um, they may come back and say, you know, I, I did, I was really upset, or they may be upset on the spot. And that's not to say, you know, that therapy is 
you know, automatically triggering or something like that. But um, absolutely, sometimes even just the relief of, of getting relief from pain um, or feeling their muscles behave in a way that they haven't felt in a very long time can be so um, overwhelming emotionally in a positive way that um, yeah, there's a, there's often a lot of tears. <laughs> Not to say people come to pelvic physical therapy and they cry, but yeah. it is, it's a safe place. And um, as practitioners, very similar to you guys, we have more time with our patients mm-hmm. and so we get to know them very well. And we try to create that space for them. And it is a very intimate relationship. And so um, we do often get to you know, witness those kind of uh, evolving emotions happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say it's, it's like a necessary part of the healing process. You know, it, it may be, it's probably a hundred percent, you know, there's, there's emotionality and in, in the visceral, the physical always, um, you know, whether or not someone is willing to go there or at that, that particular time. But I mean, what a life-changing moment for a woman to, to go through such incredible transformation, how can there not be, you know, a very deep emotional, spiritual experience that, that's, that, you know, stirs within the, within the body. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about men too. You said you also support men with their pelvic because we don't often hear that. We're always hearing about women getting support for their pelvic floor, but not so much men. So what are some of the symptoms that men are showing up with? Yes, most men aren't even aware they have a pelvic floor until there's something I was wrong. To ask that question. I know. Yeah, I it for a long time. So I thought I'd just dive in. By the way, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, men often come in after prostate cancer. So, unfortunately, with prostate cancer, oftentimes it results in a prostatectomy. So they're removing the prostate, and the prostate is a gland that holds a lot of structural space and a lot of structural uh, integrity around the urethra. And so when it's removed, those men are often uh, to varying degrees, highly incontinent. Um, So they are leaking urine. They have very poor control often. Um, They are not warned about it prior because in the instance of cancer, the the heavy, you know, conversations are surrounding management of that cancer. And so when this happens, that along with um, some erectile dysfunction can be very alarming, very new to them. Um, You know, they're thankful for their lives, but they want quality of life. And so we will treat them to regain muscle strength and coordination, helping them learn about their anatomy in that way. Um, And then also pelvic pain, just the same way with females. So men can slip and fall and do similar to what I did, where they injure the tailbone, injure the pelvic floor. Um, They can have gripping and guarding responses in response to trauma and abuse, just the same way women do, where um, the the gripping of the pelvic floor muscles is driving tender points and trigger points within the pelvic floor itself. And that can make it hard for them to sit. They may have just something always there, kind of this omnipresent pelvic pain that they don't know where it's coming from. And they tried stretching it, but it's coming from the pelvic floor. They didn't know that they had. So we are working on releasing those. Um, And then other post-op conditions, you know, if they've had colorectal procedures, um, anal fissures, things like that, we are there to help them manage after that. I mean, it's such a complex um, system of musculature in that area, right? And and I think it's fascinating, I mean, whether it be yoga or Pilates, I know it has a ton of body awareness, but when people sort of step into, you know, this, the sensation and, and contracting and releasing different parts of the body that they probably never really tuned in before. Can you talk about that process a little bit of like getting people 
aware of the anatomy, how to engage some of the pelvic floor, maybe it's Kegel exercises or other things. And then I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, the biofeedback tool and how, because I, I think it's fascinating to be able to sh actually show the electrical activity within the area and then retraining. Um, it's fascinating to see that the body can communicate and you can actually see it happen. Absolutely. Yes. I love it. And I, I think the education piece is probably my favorite piece of patient care, honestly. Um, I think the first place I always start is with a pelvic model. I keep both a male and female model available so that I can teach them outside of their own body, what it looks like. And I think that my favorite thing is the first time they see it and they're looking at it and they're exploring it and they're like, yes, that looks exactly like where my pain is coming from. But I didn't know that it like that. And when you show them connections to the tailbone, they feel yeah. like for the first time it makes sense. Cause they, I think a lot of them feel crazy. Um, or maybe they've even been told, you know, we, we did your MRI, we don't see anything. Well, you cannot see a tight muscle. You cannot see a trigger point or a tender point on an MRI or on a CT. And so they kind of get passed off, especially those with chronic pain. So I always start with a model, start by explaining the organs, start by reaffirming, you know, that their symptoms do make perfect sense as it relates to their muscles and their tendons and likening it to other parts of the body so that it helps to remove the shame. Um, and then in terms of biofeedback and real-time ultrasound, my favorite was real-time ultrasound um, because using the head, I could go in um, on top of the belly, which is just a really, um, it's far away from the genitals. So I think it gives them the picture. You get an amazing picture of their pelvic floor. They're able to watch as, you know, ask them to laugh. They can see it pounds up and down. They can see their bladder. They can see when it's full, they can see when it's empty. And so I think a lot of that um, is just so also reaffirming and it's an excellent education tool. You know, they can see it in real time contract. Oh, wow. Goodness. Yes relax, drop, and they can see it actually come down. Biofeedback can look very similar, but it doesn't look like their body because it is graphic. Um, but it is more common to find those in clinics because they're less expensive. Real-time ultrasound, I had it at the hospital. I don't have it in private practice, but they are a bit expensive as a tool. Um, but the biofeedback electrodes can go for women intravaginally, or intrarectally, or you can place them on the skin. And then for men, it can go rectally or again on the skin with men. There just tends to be more tissue and things in the way. So getting a good reading can be a little bit more challenging and they don't love those electrodes um, externally because it can get on hair and things like that. So it is a little bit of a different beast. That's why I love with the ultrasound going in through the belly and they can see it. Um, but the visual image can be, like I said, almost fun. You know, it's almost like a computer game of sorts mm -hmm. where you can make objectives around, okay, I want you to get this line above three, hold it. And they can see, and they can say, uh Oh, it's dipping, bring it back up. Um, so I think in that way for men, especially, it can be almost fun to make it more of a game. If they're competitive, you can tap into that. If they're more artistic, you can make it like a pretty wave or a picture or something like that. So just finding what drives the patient and then tacking the activity onto that, I think is really fun, but yeah, they're all really great tools and all of it helps again to create their brain maps so that they can identify where they are in their body. And then they can see their progress too, you know, watching how long they can hold it this time versus six weeks ago. when it was really, really challenging for them. Well, so empowering. I mean, mm -hmm. to be able to think that, you know, in the world that we live in, in Western medicine, it's like, oh, you got pain here. Here's some anti-inflammatories. Maybe eventually we'll do a cortisone shot just to shut down the experience altogether. 
but you're getting people back in touch with their body in such a profound way. And that they become the vessel for healing the tissue because they're engaging with that tissue in a way that they just wouldn't, would have never known before. So I think that, that there's so much power in giving people, you know, the fishing pole, so to speak, instead of, you know, just here, let me take your pain away. Um, so important, you know, and, and I see this even with, you know, other parts of the body, there can be pain in your uh, shoulder, for example, or upper back or cervical. And as a physician or whatever, you might want to go in there, let's just correct the pain, maybe we can surgically repair this or whatever. But I think a more holistic point of view would be let's let's create structure in your posture, let's look for alignment, where's their nerve impingement, how do we re, you know, reorient the body back to its natural state, and it's no different here in the pelvic floor. It's just, it's, it's an area that I think people maybe feel a little bit more self-conscious about. They don't really know who to go see for help. And so it becomes a mystery. And then there's a management process of the pain instead of a correction. And you're talking about a correction and getting to the root cause. And I love it. So mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. Are there patterns of referred pain that people might feel and maybe not associated with the pelvis? I was um, with you too. Right. <laughs> the pelvic floor. Cause I remember when we did our cadaver lab and like pulling on even just like the fascia around the shoulder, it would impact the foot. Right. So there's so much connection, but we compartmentalize everything when yeah. we're treating. So I'm curious if people can make that connection and maybe even just through listening to something like this, if we can talk about, you may feel pain here, but it could still be associated with the pelvic floor. Yes. I'm so glad that you asked me that. I do a lot of interviews, but not many people ask me that question. Um, so common referral patterns are anterior abdomen. So up into the chest level, anterior thigh. So in the front of their thighs, in the front of the hip, down to the knee, back of the thighs from where they sit on their tailbone into the back of the knee, sometimes lower. And then here's a really bananas one that a lot of people um, just are not aware of, but it comes down to the relationship between the diaphragm and the pelvic floor, but it can be chest tightness and even difficulty swallowing or hoarseness in their throat. Now that's not to say that all hoarseness in the throat is associated with pelvic floor dysfunction, but when we're thinking about the abdomen, it is like a canister and the pelvic floor is the very bottom of it. And the diaphragm is the top and different breathing patterns and different stressful, shallow breathing chronically, or other restrictions in through the rib cage can result in increased pressure there. And that can affect how we are digesting and it can affect our swallowing. So a lot of pelvic health physiotherapists are now looking very closely at cervical mobility of the neck and mobility of the hyoid bone and how people are swallowing as a, as a complete clinical picture of what may be manifesting in that pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Powerful information. Yeah. yeah. And the other thought that I had was just about the nervous system and it informing that area. And if somebody is stuck in a fight or flight state or in survival, especially a postpartum mom, right? You're kind of stuck in that survival zone, usually for the first five years. And so if they're stuck in this contracted state hormonally and through their nervous system, and you do the work with their pelvic floor and their breath work, but yet their everyday life still kind of pulls them back into that pattern. Do you find it takes longer for them to heal that area? Absolutely. 100%. Um, because as part of a basic instinct, like very deep instinctual level of fight or flight is that when, when we have those instincts to fight, flight, flee, or whatever, 
the instinct is often to close the pelvic floor, which is a muscular activity. When you think about a dog that's scared and it wraps its tail under its legs and it, and it hovers down, that dog is using its pelvic floor to pull its tail down. And we have a tail, we have a tailbone, a coccyx, and we do that same thing. It is a very deep mammalian response. And so when you're going through this process, you can be undoing that during physical therapy and during your treatment and your exercises. But until you learn when you are in that moment, what your body is doing and learn how to break that habitual pattern of your muscles, like unclench the pelvic floor, unclench the jaw, lower the shoulders and deal with whatever that driver of fear may be, may be causing caused from whether it's some sort of trigger in your daily life or, you know, abuse, trauma, whatever it may be that, that pattern, that pain symptom may continue to arise and people may feel like they're failing physical therapy or failing their medical regime or whatever, but it's simply that they're continuing to fall back into that posture. And so for that reason, and we always try to screen and refer out for therapy of many different types. I love EMDR, especially for fight or flight response or cognitive behavioral therapy. I think for a lot of people, especially if they've had trauma, the idea of just talking through it sounds worse (laughs) than what the symptoms are. And when they think of therapy, they think of just talking, but I think there's just a lot of different types of therapy for different types of people. Um, And finding the right match is really part of the whole team of people helping you to get better. Mm -hmm. Um, you mentioned jaw clenching, and I have always witnessed that there's that connection between the jaw and the pelvic area too. Do you notice changes in shape of individuals' jaw or something going on up here when there's something going on in the pelvic area? Yeah, I'll oftentimes actually see it closer to the eye with a masseter. You know, we have that nice big chunky muscle that helps us chew. And oftentimes I'll see pulling more on one side of their eye um, or may see more bulk in through the actual cheek itself. And you may just see asymmetries there. And um, it may be that 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 is congruent with the same side on the pelvic floor. And it may not be, but sometimes you'll just notice where somebody has chomped down more on that side or even just looking for scarring if they have had a compact injury to, you know, a lot of us as kiddos, I had it fall and you split your chin open, but the guarding reflex that results as kind of protecting that jaw through that healing period may never, they may never grow out of it. Um, so looking for that as well and how that may have affected their holding patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would, I'd love to go back to, to the men for a second, just cause yeah. I feel like I need to ask a male related question as well. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's partly my duty, but I want to, yeah. you, you brought up um, erectile dysfunction, which is super common post, you know, prostatectomy or, you know, sometimes even trauma post biopsy and things like that. Um, yeah. A lot of men, you know, aren't necessarily expressing their trauma as much, or they don't speak to it as much and whatnot. What have you, have you, have you worked with men maybe without the, the prostate directly issues that that are just suffering from erectile dysfunction and, and what are some of the things that you uncover with men uh, in in those situations? Absolutely. In the absence of prostate issues, I find that I'm working together with urology or with a primary care physician to ensure um, first that they're getting their hormones managed appropriately, because certainly dips, just like in women, those dips are going to affect our sexual arousal state our ability to maintain that during 
activity and whatnot. So um, ensuring that they are getting that managed, um, you know, because sometimes a, a properly medicated person can go on to do very well with it, but also addressing the pelvic floor as well. Oftentimes those people may have poor coordination patterns. They may not be getting good blood flow because when we think of the pelvic floor muscles, if they are too tight, that can impinge on the blood vessels and the nerves that go into the penis and into the testicles and all of that. Um, and that can affect that blood flow that is necessary to achieve erect uh, erection. And then um, also if they don't have good coordination and timing that may affect their orgasm response as well. So it does kind of come down to like one-on-one, -on -one, the person in front of us. Um, but it's usually part of a comprehensive team approach to ensuring that they have good lifestyle, nutrition, hormone, exercise, um, blood pressure, cholesterol levels and check all of that. And then managing the muscle system as well. Totally. Yeah. Total holistic approach. I love that. Um, and then let's talk about an or an orgasm. What about, you know, what's going on there? Like maybe it, it would show up post postpartum, but is, is there something that, that people can do if they're, they're having, having troubles there? Yeah, it can be driven from a couple of different, um, coordination conditions. The first may be that they don't have good power and control of the pelvic floor muscles. So I hate saying weak, but pelvic floor muscles that don't have good power and don't have good endurance. Um, oftentimes in the female cycle, a strong muscle contraction is part of the sensation of overall orgasm. Um, and it may be too, that the muscles are too tight. And so when you're thinking about them being too tight, they don't have good flexibility. So achieving arousal, first of all, and tolerating, let alone enjoying penetration can be really difficult. And then also as part of the female response, understanding that something like 80% of females need clitoral stimulation to achieve orgasm as well. Um, so basic penetration is often not enough for most women. And so getting them either in a body position or in some sort of tactile situation where they are getting the pressure that feels good to them. And that's always person by person. So it's really important for them to like know themselves and know how they respond so that they can guide their partner in that too. This is why men need to listen to this conversation as well. This is right, you need yes. to know your, your partner better, right? right. Yeah. 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 Have you over the years made more and more connections between the pelvic floor and other parts of us? And I know we talked about the nervous system. We talked about fight or flight and all these things. I'm just curious if you're constantly just like uncovering new things that maybe you didn't before. The foot. Oh. Yeah. So the foot is innervated by S1, 2, 3, and 4, depending on which part of it. Mm -hmm. And so a couple of different, so it shares common nerve roots. So sometimes we've noticed it, you know, when they first studied it in the neurologic population of spina bifida, where the person was experiencing incontinence and then also had motor atrophy in the foot and had gait disruption, obviously, as we see with a lot of those folks. Um, so then we can use that principle in people that don't have disruption of their spinal cord to use overflow principles to train both at the same time. Interestingly, what I found a lot of my postpartum women, especially during pregnancy, the arch flattens, they lose strength and girth of the intrinsic foot muscles themselves. So when they are first coming into therapy, if I identify that their pelvic floor muscles are weak, I will have them do foot scrunches simultaneous to a pelvic floor muscle activation and get both going at the same time. We are building up both at the same time, but interestingly, a lot of them will report that they sense their pelvic floor better 
when their foot is on. And so I, I think the common thinking is that overflow principle coming from the same spinal cord level. But also when we think about how we walk, the foot is the first thing that hits the ground and all of that force through our gait attenuates in through the pelvis. So we need to have good foot flexibility and good sensation and good attenuation of ground reaction forces as we're walking. And also the same thing in the pelvis. So I, my two little passion areas are the foot and the pelvic floor together. I tend to go down chain. Um, and I try to instill that principle in a lot of, especially those that are looking to be active again, those are looking to run or, um, you know, dance or do CrossFit or whatever it is, is that their foot has changed. And you have to rebuild that and doing it together with the pelvic floor can be highly advantageous to both structures. Mm-hmm. So would you say that foot reflexology then would be something that would be helpful for the pelvis too? I remember I did a lot of that during my second pregnancy and anytime I would have even just a little bit of sciatica show up, I would go there and then that would shift what was happening for me. So I'm just curious if you've seen that as well. Yes. I'm not as familiar with, um, some of the tenets of reflexology, but I think manual therapy and stimulation Mm -hmm. of the foot absolutely can reduce their pain. It can change how they are moving because of the way the foot is hitting the ground and it can improve their sensation in their brain map and in the pelvic floor too. So more foot massages. Yes. From yes. Yeah, Amanda yeah. says, yes, this is the <laughs> prescription for everybody today. <laughs> more foot massages. I love that. Yeah. yeah. That, that, yes. I'm glad you brought that one up. Yeah. That, that was sort of a hidden message. Yeah. You're welcome. Tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So before we get to your question, yeah. um, what, what's the aim of your book? So it's restoring public floor for women. This is again many maybe many women don't know that this, these options are available. But yeah, what was the intention behind the book, and what are some of the like the ahas that you want people to really investigate? Absolutely, the intention was to provide in a very easy to understand manner what the pelvic floor is, what are signs and symptoms that are really common, and to let them know that it's manageable by and large in a conservative way. So, and the whole intent is to show people what can be done outside of surgery. Now, certainly there are some people that require medical intervention and require surgery, but the intent was that there is a lot that we can do to address really common and embarrassing and sensitive issues that can be leading to a better life overall. And that may involve different members of the medical team in terms of naturopathic care, physical therapy, even, you know, certain medical professionals without a scalpel, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but the intention was just to provide a light, light lighthearted, I think I'm funny. So I think the book (laughs) has a little bit, I call it a spoonful of sugar um, Mm -hmm. because I try to remove the shame that is commonly driving women away from seeking care and seeking um, management. So um, I go through chapter by chapter and cover a different, very common, but fixable condition, like urinary urgency. There's a whole chapter on that constipation, pelvic pain. Um, So that was the intent of the book. Mm, I love that. So everybody needs to grab that book. Yeah. Clearly. Yes, yeah. clearly. So it's also very clear that the pain that you went through is what drove you into this path. And often we don't see the gift while we're in that moment, but afterwards we know that it was all there on purpose, even though there was some suffering involved in it. Um, and you're making like an impact now in so many people's lives, men and women. So our last question is often, um, 
around that subject of if you knew that tomorrow was your last day here on earth, what is the greatest impact that you want to leave behind, whether it's for your patients, for the world, your family, like what's important for you to leave behind? I think it would be the hope that, um, that they, that solutions are available and that they have the power to do so. I think, I think probably my legacy, if I die tomorrow, cause I'm not done yet, <laughs> so we no, need, you're I not. need like 30 more years <laughs> at least, That's right. but I think the tools would be the, the intimate yeah. rose tools and the wands and the dilators and the vaginal weights that help people manage, um, either in conjunction with their therapy or at home, because, um, I think that a lot of people are trying to manage privately first and that, using the tools is often the doorway to seeking the professional help. Sometimes it's the other way around and that's the way I want it to be. But for now, I think that that's what it would be, but still got a long way to go. Yes. <laughs> no, no more uh, river jumping, cliff jumping into rivers. Yeah. You're done with that. Done with that. That was never my personality. I was, was young. I was stone cold sober, young enough mm. to know better or old enough to know better, had a doctorate degree. I will not keep up with the boys anymore. <laughs> Feet <Yeah>. on the ground. <laughs> I made that decision a while ago too, just like noticing as they're eight, growing up and then you know, Nick has things that he wants them to do. And I'm like, why am I doing this to myself and wanting to keep up with these guys? If I don't want to go wakeboarding, I don't want to go wakeboarding. Yeah. I have multiple concussions while I fall. <laughs> so, yes. I am I'm the same way. No, yes. <laughs> don't need to keep up. Yeah, we're just testing you. Right. <laughs> if I can say no. Can yeah. you say no? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love the message you shared. I mean, there's so much empowerment that happens when people unlock these solutions within themselves. And, you know, because as you open up these doors, like these are really, like you said, brings up a lot of shame. These are really huge pain points for people, literally, physically, emotionally, they're draining, they're all these things. And uh, what a, what an opportunity to open in, you know other doors in, in one's health. Like when you start to realize that you can overcome these things and not manage them, like you don't have to manage them. You can move beyond them and 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 live pain pain free and and to, you know, you get to ask those questions of what else is possible. So it's it's such a huge thing to teach people how to get out of pain and, and to reconnect to their bodies in a more profound way. So uh, I love what you're doing. Um, and so that being said let's say someone wants to work with someone like you, uh, can you do it remotely? Does it, do you have to be in person? Can they get enough inside of the book to ask the right questions to their physio? You know, how does that work for someone who's wanting direct help now? Absolutely. Um, if somebody is wanting direct help from a pelvic physio, um, me and my support team work together to help match people with someone in their state so that they can do telehealth. So um, including in Canada, um, we have pelvic physios all over the world in our network. So I always try to pair somebody that can get telehealth help in their in their particular legal jurisdiction so that the licensed professional can help them. Um, and then on the website, intimaterose.com, I have hundreds of free videos and blog articles, um, every new customer question, every new patient question that comes up, we make a new video for it. So there's years worth of material on there to help people find solutions. Um, and then the book is a really helpful way to just kind of dip your toe. Like I said, I find myself hilarious, but it's like very clean, Mary Poppins humor <laughs> in the mm -hmm. book to help kind of walk you through. And then on Instagram, we also have additional resources and, and videos as well. Thank you. Awesome. It's so helpful. So helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thank you for sharing this time with us. I know people are going to get so much out of this.
Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I love your unique questions. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Thank you. And, and for those, the take-home message really was foot massages as mm-hmm. well. So make sure you do <laughs> yes. those, right? That is the number one yes. prescription today, everybody. Foot massages and hope. We got that. That's, right. <laughs> that's, that's it. Uh, thanks so much, Amanda. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe.